Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. She is somebody who can help bring your family together, bring it to life. Families in the history, they all come together when she gets working on stuff and she I've, <laughs> I'm experiencing it in real time as she can... Trace your family history, your family tree. She's the owner of Lineage Links, and it's essentially a genealogical and historical research firm. And she is Diane Kelly Runyon. She's back on the program with us. Welcome back, Diane. How you doing? I'm doing great today. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. And we've been trading some texts. And this started with me mentioning my grandmother came off the boat from Ireland And then you said, let me look into that a little bit. And I'm like, all right, if you want to, but I don't have a lot of information. I wasn't uh, close on my, uh, to my father's side of the family. And I don't have that, that info, a lot of info about my grandmother who passed when I was, uh, was a kid. And sure enough, in not even 24 hours, you've already provided pretty amazing information, Diane. (laughs) You're, you're insane. You're, you're crazy how you get this all done. Why don't you tell everybody what you found so far? Well, I was, yours was kind of challenging because of, you know, a lot of people have not put um, that research on here. So we were not working with names that we were sure of and things of that sort. But I was able to drill down and get your family back to um, 1873 in Brooklyn. And they seemed to be hang out in Brooklyn for many decades. Um, which was really pretty interesting. Um, the the grandmother that we thought was from Ireland is from Ireland, but boy, those records we're still working on. It's it's yep. been quite the massage. But today, this morning, I called uh, trying to get a death record on your uh, great grandmother, and and I had to call the health department, the cemetery, the township the county records office, and I know uh, it's different in all states that that New York is what's called a closed record state, hmm. which you I cannot get any records on your family unless I was a direct kin. Also, that you have to wait 50 years. Well, I told the lady I'd be dead by then, so it didn't <laughs> really matter. And... Um, but what is interesting is for New York, so I'm talking to you New Yorkers that are online today, mm-hmm. that um, if you put a genealogical request for a death record in, in New York today, it will take a few months to a year to get a response. Wow. And it's, I think it all has to do with um, staffing and things of that sort. Also, you have to fill out a form showing that you are a blood relative. So I can't get any of those records. So we couldn't find out anything about the Irish grandma's parents. But we did find out some things about her. Also, on your Harper side, we found that also Anne, who was married to Herbert Harper, uh, she was born in Brooklyn, but her parents are also from Ireland. So you got a lot of Irish in you. So it's been pretty interesting. Hmm. I had I had to laugh on the one thing. I had an obituary today, and the obituary came out 10 years before the death of the person. 
<laughs> so you always have to look at the records because you know they're transposing you know numbers and there you go i said wow i wonder that person knew that he had passed but um it's been a very interesting uh journey and i've got some really great things for you when we get get the whole thing compiled together but we're way back there and you just started. You just started. And I appreciate everything that you're doing. And I can dig back a little bit because I reconnected or connected with uh, my cousin through Facebook. And she she's fascinated by this kind of stuff. So, you know, on my dad's side, she's got some insight. On uh, my mom's side, um, you know, my mom passed. I don't have a lot of information, but I'll, I'll see what I can dig up to help you along the way. But even still... I mean, I never met my great-grandfather. Uh, actually, my, my grandfather on my dad's side, I never met him. He passed before uh, I was born. So yeah, that happens. What did you think that picture I sent you that he had from um, his Siemens registration? Yeah, uh, kind of looks like my dad. There you go. Kind of looks like my dad and kind of looks like uh, my uncle, uh, my dad's brother, who I wasn't really that close with because he was halfway across the country. Um, right. But yeah, they, there's, there's a resemblance there. So it's, a, it's amazing. And again, this isn't a short period of time, not, not barely 24 hours of, of basic information. And that's what you found so far. I can't imagine if I was able to uh, give you some more, how much uh, ahead well, you might be. Yeah, but my butt's been in this chair seven hours, so... <laughs> it's not that easy. But, okay. um, you make it look it easy. Seems, it does look easy, and, you know, you go. You have a lot of uh, threads to go on, and you just have to follow them while you're thinking of it. And I did find um, something very interesting, as we thought uh, Hannah Harper's last name was Murphy. It was put down as Murphy. But in one of the census records, they had a John Lane in... They're saying this was his, with Herbert's son-in-law, and I'm going, oh, okay, there's that Lane name. I found it twice, and so now we're thinking Hannah's name really wasn't Murphy. It's really Lane, and so, you know, that's more to explore. It's been quite fun, actually. Hmm. And you know what I just realized here, that you have the information of my grandmother and it's her dad that's buried with her. Right. Mm, wow. And I never knew when he passed away. So he passed away a number of years uh, you know, before I was born, but um, super interesting. And you said the name Murphy just now, Diane. Right. The could be a coincidence, but there's a photo, the photo of the gravestone for my grandmother uh, was taken by Jerry Knott, N-O-T-T, Murphy. Uh-huh. Interesting. I just I'll saw make that. A note. I will make a note of that. It's always the, the tiniest things that will will make all the sense and open up the records because you've been looking for one name and then it's under something else. As a matter of fact, I want to jump in here and also say that wherever you found this from my grandmother, um where she's buried, it says here now, this person, Jerry, uh, who I have no idea who this is, um, mm-hmm. it has her married name. It got cut off in the, in the um, 
headline underneath the picture of the gravestone, but if you look at the bottom, you see her last name, Albrecht. So that's her married name. Again, I don't know who that is, but man, you can look on Facebook. But uh, I do have, I do have from DNA records, my cousin did a lot of, um, has a lot of insight, which I'm just going to copy and send that to you. And I think it probably would give you some, some clues. That'd be great. Yeah. You're like a, like a CSI investigator. (laughs) It's crazy. I know. I just have to find all the dirt. It's just just too exciting. I should have been a detective. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot easier finding dead people than living people, actually, because of of now the strict rules about um, releasing records and things Hmm. like that. So, yeah. Wow. Interesting. So that's just one one service you provide, and you do it so well, and again— you had minimal information in less than 24 hours, and that's what you've come up with so far. Um, right. You're also an author, and you've written a book that's very, let's call it topical. This is Black History Month, and this book kind of plays in with that. The book is called Secrets Under the Parking Lot. Tell us about that. Well, this is a very interesting story, and it never was in our purview that this is something we would actually do. My best friend, Kim Shoebanker Star, we've been friends 40 years. We were just, she's a headstone restoration specialist. So mm. she goes out and cleans headstones, which is really hard work. I've done that with her and thought maybe I'll just do records. And wow. um, so she asked me, she said, there was a black cemetery, I think, across the street from where I live. Now, this is Upper Arlington, Ohio. It is presently and has most part been. 98% white, and it is a very upper-income upper, upper income community. And the book will take you from the early 1800s to present time. And when we started this book, she just asked me about if I could find a name about the cemetery, which was no longer there. And so I found this name, and it went... And it just, the whole thing was like divine providence. It just kind of grew and grew and grew. And one thing came to another. And we found this gentleman that owned this property. And it, his name was Pleasant Litchford. And he died in 1879. And he was the fourth largest landowner by the Civil War in that area. Wow. And he also had a seven-page will, and I laugh at it because I look at my will, and it says, split it up and don't fight. And But he had everything down pat. He was definitely a mover and shaker in that area, worked with the Board of Education, built a colored school in this area for the children of uh, the black children in the neighborhoods that couldn't go to white schools. His daughters became teachers. He was definitely big into education, and he worked with um, a lot of political parties in the 1840s and working on the Underground Railroad. Now, I'm working on a second book that has something to do with the connection to the first book about Madison, Indiana, also Underground Railroad. But the thing about Pleasant Litchford is he was very strong in education. He was born in 1789, and and he was a 
a freed slave from Lynchburg, Virginia. His wife and his four children were also uh, freed slaves at the time they came through the Cumberland Road onto Indi- I mean, to Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. So I used I um, spent a lot of time as a history teacher. So I did the whole part is preface on what do people see when they go to another state and here they are. Hello, we're home. There's nothing there. There's no house. There's it's trees. Good luck. So all of them, all the pioneers that came west had to start from scratch. When they got there, they had to build their own home. They had to build, make sure your outhouse was not near your water source. A lot of things went into that. You could be sleeping under your um, your um, wagon for a year by the time you would have a home. So it was definitely uh, a place for community. Now, the area was very much Quakers, and they have strong feelings about uh, promoting other communities of, of disadvantage, color, whatever. And um, so when he was running the Underground Railroad through that area, no one said a peep. Mm. And they would go up the Scioto River to a safe house, which was run by his daughter's father-in-law, also from Lynchburg, Virginia. But the genealogy kept, as we went by, through history, it just became more and more obvious of what was happening during those times. And by the time they got into the 1920s, they put covenants into the deed saying that if you were a person of color, you could not live there or be seen there, own property, unless you were in servitude. And it actually says that on the deed. And that was pretty, pretty shocking because we never we or I, never learned that in school. And people did were so surprised that, really? And if you had an older house in Upper Arlington, it would be all in your deeds. So this is the way when the Litchford family died out, they would make sure that no person of color or of Jewish religion could move into that area. So they were manipulating the social population demographics of their area to be exclusively upper-class white. Um, Where the genealogy comes in, which makes it more fascinating, is not only going through his family history, is that I've become close friends with a lot of the family members, and some of them didn't even know anything about this. And they are all executives, attorneys, CEOs, so he has to be very proud. And Pleasant Litchford's grandchildren... His grandson graduated top of his class at Ohio State University Law School in 1911, and his granddaughter graduated from Ohio State first, also first black person to graduate from Ohio State University in um, 1912 with a teaching degree. That is unheard of. That is very, very rare. And... So they became really movers and shakers. But what was interesting is we were able to trace trace back the family to the Tonga tribe in Cameroon. And the the people in the Tonga tribe were taken by the other 
tribes because they were uh, like a more, um, they were manufacturers, tradespeople. They were not a warring tribe. So a warring tribe came them, sold them all off, and sent them to America. And they, we have them coming into Richmond at a certain period of time. Now, finding slave records has been so, so difficult. And um, I even hired a slave expert for Virginia, and my friend Kim and I and this uh, wonderful woman spent three days in the Library of Virginia, nothing. So it's very difficult to connect yourself to a slave because they didn't have names or last names. Um, you can only get a manumission paper, which was your freedom papers, um, through, through your master, whether he did it through uh, his will or anything else. So what a journey. But it's a fascinating story, and I speak about it all over the Midwest. And um, it would show you, the one thing I want to take away from, is even though you were born from a disadvantaged situation, you can certainly make something of yourself because being a slave did not hold him back or his children from being the successful people they became. It offers hope, and it's kind of exciting, Diane, just to know that you've uncovered that information and what was what was taking place and what was learned from that. And I can't imagine, you know, we're talking about looking the family history of my family with little information. I can't imagine doing it with, let's say, somebody who was a slave at that time. Because uh, mm-hmm. obviously they're running under the radar. <laughs> so how do you find that information? Right. Exactly, exactly. It, it was, uh, and we still don't know. We still mm. don't know. We spent... How, I mean, I can't even tell you how many hours it has been. Um, but the interesting is, and why it's called Secrets Under the Parking Lot, is in 1955, and of course you have to take it in the context in what was the climate in society in 1955, not in, to, in a 2023 lens. You can't look at it that way. But there was a lot of um, anti-black sediment, in um, that area, they took that that cemetery and they paved over it with a parking lot. Now, they said that they had taken all the bodies out, but we had found a person that lived in a funeral home in downtown Columbus. He was almost 90. We ran down there and because we were afraid he'd die overnight. That's what would happen. And we put, we did a long interview with him about what was going on that day, and he they said that they were going to take the bodies out with respect and dignity, and they used the backhoe. Mm. They used the backhoe. So when we came to the Board of Education several years back, and they were going to build this Taj Mahal High School, and said, um, just so you know, <laughs> that you've got bodies under your parking lot. Well, of course, that put a whole halt on it because in Ohio you can't just, you know, do that. If you have bodies under something, they have to be moved. So we actually had someone who was very sympathetic to our cause, the superintendent of schools, Paul Emhoff, amazing man. He took our, our progress 
and he ran with it. And they did an archaeological dig, and we found bodies and pieces of bodies that this person that gave an interview to us told us we would find. And it's exactly every single source is absolutely right on. And when they found the body of one full intact um, young woman, we sent the DNA to Parabon, that does uh, crime DNA, and I wasn't wanting to extract her DNA so we would know more about what was about her. But she was in perfect health. So in those days, and we figured it was about 1890s that she passed, she probably died of something as easy as um, flu, cold, pneumonia, because uh, they, you know, didn't have antibiotics then. So uh, things that we would never pass from today uh, would would um, be deathly. Mm. So coming to today, and I'm trying to do this really fast because I know there's so much to talk about. Uh, the we have written curriculum. We and I mean. On the entire committee, including historians and administrators and teachers, we all wrote curriculum K-12 to be taught in the schools off of this book. Also, a senior wrote an entire play. It was fantastic play that she wrote for her senior project. We have a park named after him. We have an endowment, scholarship endowment fund. And this is somebody that no one knew even existed seven years ago. Wow. So we, it's, it's our greatest joy to bring this together. But there's so much in the book, and we're hoping that the Smithsonian is going to pick it up. I have a, hopefully have a meeting with them next week when I'm in Washington uh, to carry the book in their bookstores. So um, it is on sale at Amazon. It's a quick read. It was written actually for middle school and high school kids because that was the audience I was focused on. So it's a quick read, but it's a fascinating read for sure. A lot of twists and turns that I didn't tell you about that go back to Salt Lake City and the Mormon Church. And wow. Diane, you mention or I heard somewhere about an Emmy in connection with this. Can you tell us more about that? About what? I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. I thought uh, there was an Emmy award connected. Oh, to this. yes. Oh, <laughs> Emmy. I was thinking of a girl's name, name Emmy. Yes. Because um, <laughs> you, you know what? Uh, you would, because that's how your brain works. Cause that's what you do. You I know, follow I what I'm thinking, saying? What, person, what person's name did I see on find my past name, Amy, Emmy? Well, we, um, we're lucky to be picked up by Columbus Neighborhoods. You can see this. It's called The Pleasant Litchford Story. It is on YouTube, um, produced by WOSU. And we were nominated for an Emmy, and we meaning an entire group of people. We only wrote this story, but they produced it, and it was wonderful. And Charlene Brown, who was a narrator and a good friend of ours, she... She was the star of the show, and it's a short documentary on the Pleasant Litchford story, and it will tell you, flesh out a little more than I told you so far. But yeah, we won an Emmy, never thought, we never thought we would sell 10 books, 
because we were I was not going to write a book. After my master's, I said, I'm not writing another thing. And But we had two and a half feet, and I have a picture of it, of documentation about this family, and we couldn't put it in a garage in a box because it was original research. So, yes, we won an Emmy and in 2019, and you can watch it on um, YouTube called The Pleasant Litchford Story. Wow. That's that's amazing. That must be so gratifying for, for the work that you put into it to be recognized in that capacity. And this is literally changing history. You know, yeah. that, right? This is yeah. kids should be in school, should be learning what actually took place. You know, there is some there is some information in history books, but it seems like it just it just trails off and ends at a certain point where there's more details that uh truly tell a story, and that's what your book, Secrets Under the Parking Lot, does. Right, right. And the Historical Society at first was not pleased, and um, so they hired an attorney to go through all of my documents. (laughs) Wow. They were 100%. That made me happy because I thought, you know, I'm all about the data. You You are. You are, and I I find it actually kind of humorous that they hired an attorney um, because maybe the historical society should have done their due diligence and had yeah. some accurate information there, but that, you know, that it is what it is. You did and uncovered everything and uh, I guess rewriting history or abridging history, if you will. Um, so if anybody's looking to, to find the history of their family, Go to the website, lineagelinks.com, lineagelinks.com, and uh, Diane will get it done. Uh, I'm I'm experiencing it, again, in real time, and she hasn't uncovered the full story yet, but I have a feeling you're going to. (laughs) I'm going to learn a lot about my family. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting, yeah. (laughs) Diane, always great talking with you. Love the the insight, the history, and uh, so much more to talk about, and uh, I guess we'll be texting during the week to see what you uncover on my end. I will look forward to it. Thank Uh, you so much. Thank you. Lineagelinks.com. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Let's go inside the mind of a 10-year-old. I should have worn those earrings today. I like those earrings. Gabby has those awesome earrings. I need to ask her where she got those, but that's just what she would want me to do. I'll have Michaela ask her for me. Buckle up, Sarah. Yeah, but then Michaela will be like, why don't you just ask her yourself? That's just like Michaela. Sarah, buckle up. Michaela's such a great name. I wish I was called Michaela. There's like a dozen Sarahs in my class. Hey, we're not hitting the road until you buckle up, honey. Oh, yeah. Seatbelt. I forget sometimes because my brain is like busy, you know? I wonder if there's pizza at school today. Sometimes it can be tough to get through to your kids, but it's not impossible. Always make sure they're wearing their seatbelts, even on short drives. Remember, you have the keys, you have the power. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information.